12, the story of Abram and God coming to Abram and saying, you are blessed to be a blessing. That if you leave your comfort zone, if you leave your land, if you leave your relatives, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to many. And this week we're going to continue and we're going to look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and we're going to read quite a bit so you can stay seated this morning. But we're going to read a story that may, may be familiar to you. It's Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And, and before we get there, we need to realize what's already happened in John's gospel. So at this point, uh, Jesus has already, uh, he's already called disciples. He's already got several followers. He's turned water into wine at the wedding. Do you remember this? They're at the wedding in, in Canaan, and uh, they're out of wine. And somebody says, oh, that Jesus guy's here. And he goes in, he turns the water into wine. And then he cleanses the temple. He comes in, and there's, they're, they're exchanging money, and they're doing things in the temple that shouldn't be done in the temple. And so what does Jesus do? He gets mad, and he just he turns the tables, and he just says, this isn't, you're missing it. You're missing the mark. So that's already happened. Then we get John chapter 3, where the most, one of the most famous scriptures is, is in that conversation there. It's Jesus and Nicodemus. And the scripture tells us that Nicodemus pulls Jesus to the side and because at night, maybe nobody will see. Maybe he can ask these things and kind of get this conversation in, in, in secret. And so we get that, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but he have eternal life. And then right after that, Jesus has this discussion about his relationship to John the Baptist. The disciples are all confused. People are confused. They're like, John's baptizing, but you're baptizing, and you're telling us to baptize, and, and what's, what's going on here? And in the midst of that conversation, we get this story that we're going to hear today. So again, I'd you to turn your Bibles to, Genesis, to John, that was last week, John chapter 4, and we'll start one. Hang in there with me, follow, uh, we're going to read... Uh, about 26 verses. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gain, gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Again, here's that confusion of you, John, what's going on, man? Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Remember way back in the Old Testament, Jacob, Joseph, all right? Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked, and he would have, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as to his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. If you know what's coming, that's one of Jesus' best lines in all of Scripture. Go call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for, sal- for salvation from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord, and we can say, thanks be to God. What's the most thirsty you've ever been? Maybe you're one of those people that can just run. You just run for fun. You, well, we, we all know these people. They run the 5Ks. They run the half marathons. They run full marathons. They run Ironmans. They run the Grand Canyon. Some people just like to run. If I run for more than 40 seconds, I am very thirsty. Or have you ever had surgery? When you wake up from surgery, you know what you want? You just want some water. Your mouth is so dry, and you can like feel all the little bumps on your tongue. And, and a lot of times when you come out of surgery, what do they say? Oh, you can't have any water. Not yet. What about ice cubes? No, you can't have any ice cubes. Not yet. You, you just, you had a major procedure. I had my tonsils out. Come on, you know. But no, you're thirsty. Or maybe you, maybe you don't thirst for water. But maybe it's, it's your kid, your son, your daughter, that just keeps running. And the biggest thirst in your life is to see them run home. And you are so thirsty for it. But it's just like it can't get quenched. Or maybe, maybe it's that medical diagnosis that you're just believing that God can touch you and heal you and, and it can be different and you long to see it change. But nothing. And you're thirsty. I want you to think about the most thirsty that you've been. Maybe for water, maybe for something else. You know, we don't really realize how spoiled we are when it comes to water. Much like the woman in our story, she had to walk quite a distance just to get to the well. 
And oftentimes we sit on the couch for 30 or 40 minutes until we finally get ourselves off the couch to go grab a glass of water. We're so close to the source, and our source is seemingly limitless. I mean, I've never had my faucet on and the water turn off. It just, you turn it on and it keeps coming. I mean, as long as the bill's paid. We've all done that. You know, you forget to pay the bill and whoops. We go through life thirsty with our source of living water right within reach. Grace of God. Today we're talking about receiving salvation. The woman at the well was offered salvation through this conversation with Jesus. How did it begin? Just like we talked about last week. It began with opportunity for her to... Jesus didn't come bearing a present. He said, hey, can you give me a glass of water? I'm really, really thirsty. Through this opportunity, she was offered the greatest thirst quencher that has ever been. A thirst quencher that provides eternal life. And we will see commercials tonight during the big game for some thirst quenchers. But none of them can claim that they can give eternal life. If you've never received that water that provides a living well inside of you, let today be that day. For Jesus is offering to you the greatest gift that has ever been given because he is the greatest giver that has ever given. For those of us that received this water a long time ago, how are we to practice being good stewards with this water? Like we talked about last week, we are blessed to be a blessing. How do we steward this living water? I want to point out a few things from our text today. First off, a Samaritan woman is the one that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to. What an honor. Out of all the people, Jesus had been around in, in for 30 years. He, he, he knew people. He probably had connections. He probably had buddies. At this point, like I said, he's already called, some, called his disciples, and they're already traveling him, but he chooses this woman. Hmm, what an honor. And if you remember, this is a woman that Jesus should have been talking to. She's a Samaritan. Jews do not talk to Samaritans. That is bad. We don't do that. But Jesus did. So what do we learn from that? We learn that salvation comes from where we least expect it. You see, Jesus, Jesus knows her past and still offers her a blessing. He offers her this drink so that he can give her so that she can bless others. This woman was unclean. Didn't stop Jesus from blessing her. We know what her past was. And yet, Jesus blesses her and chooses her. And Jesus knew that she would appreciate this water. She was thirsting whether she knew it or not. Jesus was not just concerned. Let's see. Let, I don't want you to throw me out of the church for this, but listen to me closely here. Jesus was not just concerned about her after she died. 
He was concerned about how she was going to live. He was concerned about how was she going to survive without this water. We don't get anything about heaven and hell. We just get Jesus offering this woman a drink. And while these places do exist, and this is an important conversation to have, Jesus was not going that direction right now. But Jesus was ready to give her a way out of her guilt and her shame right now, today. Not that she would be wiped clean and could enjoy eternity with him once she died, but he said, you can drink of this water today and never go thirsty. Jesus offered her a new way to live with a new source. You see, she was obviously searching. She was obviously thirsty because she's had five husbands. She was looking for that completion. And she didn't find it in husband number one. And she didn't find it in husband number two. She didn't find it in husband number three. Most of us would have stopped at that point, right? But she had a thirst. And she, she, she knew somewhere, some way, it could be quenched. So she tried again. And husband number four, that was no good either. Then husband number five, that's got to be it, right? Five, a nice even number. All right, all right, sorry. Husband number five, that doesn't work either. And so what does she do? Now she's seeing a guy just to see if maybe the six times the charm. I would venture, well, I don't want to put anything into scripture that's not there, but maybe it wasn't the guys. Maybe they were good guys. We just liked, maybe they were terrible to her. Maybe they were good, good guys. But she was thirsting for something that she couldn't find in a spouse. She knew something was missing. She just needed a savior to point it out. We have to become concerned with people's today and tomorrow before we jump to their eternity. Don't throw me out of church. Because I believe in heaven and I believe in hell and I'm, I'm, that, I'm, I'm, I'm on board on that. But if we don't care about their today and their tomorrow, why would they want to spend eternity with us anyways? <laughs> you see, heaven, heaven is not the meat and potatoes of what Jesus offers to us. Heaven is just the icing on top of the dessert. Now, we, we all know that dessert is a glorious part of a meal, and we love when we finally get that, and then, you know, you, you bite into that icing, and a lot of times, depending on what meal you've had, it's just a nice change in flavor, and it just makes your mouth moist, and it's just glorious. But we do know one thing about icing. <laughs> icing will never sustain us. You can't live on it. You're going to get tired of it. You're going to get flavor fatigue, and it's just, it's not going to end well. We get used to it. I think for too long, 
and I'm, I'm, I'm saying we because I'll include myself in this, but for too long, we have been trying to win people to Jesus by shoving the icing down their throat when what they really need is the meat and potatoes that they are thirsting for that will provide them substance. Not just a promise of, of a mansion in eternity, but a promise that tomorrow when you wake up, you're not alone. That is good news. When they die, then heaven will be a glorious part of this journey with God. But if we skip to the end, we're missing the mark on all that Jesus has to offer. You know, I, a lot of people like to ask, why, why do you think the world doesn't want anything to do with the church today? Why are people leaving the church why do people see the church as not important, not necessary for their relationship with God? Why? And this question gets asked a lot. Well, I think for a long time the church was really concerned about this idea of how will people spend eternity? Where will you go when you die? And that is important. I don't want you to hear me saying any different For a while, it was as if the ch church, we just thought if we could just get people here and get them on the list for heaven, then we were doing our job, then we were successful. But the church just didn't seem to care about what their today looked like. They were just concerned about eternity. But you see, the living water that we receive from Christ is not given to us when we take our last breath. The living water of Christ is given to us when we accept the invitation to receive the greatest gift that has ever been offered, salvation, by the grace of God. Is Jesus concerned about how we die and what happens after? Yes, absolutely. I do believe so, because if not, Jesus wouldn't have showed us how to die. Let me say that again, because you didn't get excited enough. Is Jesus concerned about how we die and what happens after? Yes, so much so that he showed us how to die. He experienced it. Is Jesus concerned with how we live? Absolutely. So much so that he came into this world to be, to participate, incarnated. He had flesh. Does the church care about helping others improve their lives prior to death? I'm not too sure. If we had, I think this disconnect between us and those who don't believe would be much less of a problem. Now, kind of my last thing I want, I want to pull out of this is, so often we hear this message of salvation, and we hear that we're saved from something. If you come to accept this Jesus, you will be saved from hell. You'll be saved from eternal damnation. And is that true? Yes, it is. But what does Jesus offer in our story today? He offers living water. And he didn't turn to drink it later. He said, I, the water I give you, just drink it now and you'll never thirst again. 
You see, I think we need to go one step further. Not only are we saved from something, but we are saved for something. What's the difference? When we're saved from something, if we're not in that thing, we're good. We're saved from hell, good. Got it. Cool. But that's why we believe that God doesn't just take us to heaven as soon as we accept Christ. We are saved for something. And what are we saved for? (laughs) To be a blessing. Press play on last week's sermon and just listen to it again. The reason that we are saved is not only from hell, but it is for the life of the world. It is for us to bless others. It is for us to be God in the world. If we're just saved from, we don't have a duty. But if we're saved for, we better get to work. Because the mission of God in the world is to make all things new. And once we're made new, we participate in that. Today, I hope and pray that every person in this room has received the living water that that Christ offers to the woman at the well, that Christ offers to us today. And I pray that through this message, you've, you've had your thirst brought to your attention and you're ready for it to be quenched. And for those of us that have had this living water for a long time, I pray that we begin to see ways in which we can stop hoarding it for ourselves. If our source of water never runs dry, that means there's always enough to share. There's no reason for your cup to just be overflowing and overflowing and overflowing and over. It does no good. It does no good. So we have to steward salvation well. This might be what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he says, work out your salvation through fear and trembling. It's not that we're sitting around scared that we're going to end up in hell because we believe that God has saved us from that and we've been redeemed. But we're over here taking the responsibility of salvation seriously with fear and trembling before the Lord and saying, this is a gift and I want to steward it well. I want to be a good steward of this living water that will never run dry. We can't keep it from others. We have to live as people who are blessed to be a blessing that can offer to people a way out of their brokenness and into holy living that is going to help them live better today, live better tomorrow, and eventually for all eternity. Today we're going to watch just a brief video clip from a conference um, and then, um, and Karen's going to come and play. And, and I want to ask you today, if you're thirsty, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> if you're thirsty, I want you to recognize that this source of living water It will never run out. I've drank a lot of water today. But man, I'm thankful that it never runs dry. Let's watch this together. (laughs) 
I've had countless moments recently where I felt like I have nothing left to give. My well has been slowly running dry, and sometimes I worry that I've got nothing left to give. I'm tired. I'm hurting. I'm anxious. I feel useless. I don't understand why I feel the ways that I do, and all of it combined is getting hard to maintain. The land of my life is parched, longing for a taste of those life-giving waters, longing for reprieve, and it's one of those things that I forget that I can just reach out and receive, but this foggy state of mind caused by the desiccated state of my life leaves me naive to the tricks of the enemy's sleeve. Falling victim to these tricks unintentionally cuts off my own water supply, and I know the Lord is trying to give me what I need. I can hear his voice calling, saying, come to me. I want you to be freed. Come to me and let me intercede. Come to me and I will give you a taste of these waters. Just as David said in the desert of Judah, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being dry and parched land where there is no water. I'm sick of being parched and just want to be righteously thirsty. I long for the place of having excess water to share, of being in a place that my land is not cracked and in disrepair. I long for the water that sustained generations in the wilderness and I'm doing what I can to connect to that source. Those moments of my life that I mentioned before remain new because of the new life that this connection has brought me. It's brought me strength and perseverance. It's brought me an eager heart as I step into the unknowns of ministry. It's reminded me of who I am and what I'm called to do. While my well may run dry, I have access to an everlasting source that I promise to live by, a well to which I have been invited a well to make the thirsty excited, a well from which we are expected to share, a well to which we can all bring our prayers, a well equipped to anoint us for him and a well that we've heard about in every single church hymn, a well that puts to ease every anxious thought and a well within our reach, seeing as how our sins have been bought, a well full of water that flows through the Bible, Psalm 63 and 107, Proverbs 25, Isaiah 44, 49 and 55, Matthew 5, John 4 and 7, Romans 12 and Revelation 22, just to name a few. The life that water brings can be seen from Genesis to Revelation and should be hard to resist. So standing here before you today, I extend an invitation. The invitation to be rinsed in this life-giving water, to have his spirit poured out on your life, to step up and say, Lord, I've forgotten what it means to be thirsty for you, but today I am reminded to seek you in everything I do. Father God, would you move in our lives today? Well, today that is your invitation. We're going to sing.